How's everybody at night? Is anybody warm enough? Do, do we need the heater? <laughs> so I heard rumor we hit 90s today. Is that true? Lord have mercy on our soul. <clears throat> well, tonight we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 22. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 22. Remember last time we talked about uh, the last four kings of Judah. And the next uh, uh, one more chapter after this, all the way through 23, is going to kind of be a, a grouping of prophecies that were given in uh, each of their uh, respective kingdoms. So the idea is these are all things that don't fall necessarily to the chronology of the kings, but this is for the next couple of chapters when we consider what is it that God's looking for in the heart of a king, you can kind of get that by what it is that the Lord's asking of the last four kings of Judah. So they're all bad kings. Remember, we had three months, 11 years, three months, 11 years. That's their length of reign. <clears throat> and the first, the, three, the first three month guys deposed by Egypt, and they put a puppet king on. Then that guy rules 11 years. Then he dies in the siege. Uh, the next king, Jeconiah, reigns for three months. He's deposed by Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. And Zedekiah is the final king going into the exile. So this is kind of the order. But as we look at what the Lord has for us in, in Jeremiah 22, it just seems to me that there's a, a list of things of uh, the idea of what does it mean to to do righteousness, to do justice, to love your neighbor. These are things that, that God is laying out for these kings as the prophecies through Jeremiah were given to them to call them uh, to turn. Now, we know that none of them do. So here, the secretary Jeremiah, which we'll meet several chapters from now, has put them all together, right? We have them all together in a spot so that we can see like series by series by series what Jeremiah was asking of the kings of Judah and maybe how that might relate uh, to us uh, in terms of leadership, what God's looking for from us. Now we look at Jeremiah 22, picking it up in verse 1, he says, Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. So he's kind of laying out in the beginning, Jeremiah 22, right? What's the responsibility of the king? And we talk about this a little bit, you know, especially since we went through the COVID uh, drama uh, that we're currently in, and the idea that people wrestled with about Romans 13 calling us to be obedient to our government. But keep in mind, that government also has a requirement of God, that that government is acting according to God's statutes. That government is following God's uh, rule of law. And so what's he laying out for us? What, what things need to be focused on? Justice and righteousness, right? Do justice and righteousness. This is God's call for a king to follow him. Eliminate oppression. Don't be an oppressive government. 
and end all violence against the helpless. And I think the things that are laid out for us, the stranger, the alien, right? There's, there's a lot of ways we wrestle with that, uh, maybe a little less in Idaho than in some states, but <clears throat> a lot of ways we wrestle with the concept of how are we supposed to be toward the alien. The Word of God's pretty clear, right? You, your neighbor's your neighbor. And so the idea of looking at the ending violence, ending violence, no violence against the stranger, no violence against the orphan, no violence against the widow, and no violence against the innocent. Now, who do you think he's talking about there? So when he's talking about the innocent, he's talking about children, the babies. That's the same thing that was happening in their day. We've talked about it before, right? The, the, the idea that there in the Valley of Hinnom, Jeremiah talks about it, where they would practice uh, sacrificing their children. There was a special blessing that you received for the foundation of your home if you laid your children in the foundation. You, you uh, kill your children and bury them in your foundation, then your house will be blessed because of the sacrifice that you had given. So the Lord's saying, this is, these are the actions that government, you know, this is a godly government, a government that is following uh, the moral law giver, Right? Because we all understand, we, we have this big thing where we struggle against evil, don't we? There's a lot of people who would say because there is evil existing in the world today, there is no God. Because if God was good, he'd wipe out evil. If God was all-powerful, he'd be strong enough to do it. Uh, if he doesn't do it, he's not strong enough or he's not loving enough, right? He's not good or he's not, he doesn't have the strength. But when we argue against evil, we need to understand that when we ag- admit that something like evil exists, we're, we're also admitting that there's something good to measure evil against. And where does that which is good come from? And if we say this is good, this is a baseline of what is good, and this is a baseline of what is evil, then that uh, posits the idea of a moral lawgiver. And if there's a moral lawgiver, then we're responsible to him. So the argument, far from saying there is no God, actually argues toward God because we can recognize people around the world have no problem pointing out evil. Hey, that's wrong. Why is that wrong? Because the God of the universe has written it on your heart. That's wrong. We, we comprehend and understand those things. And so <coughs> we see this attitude for the king. What is the king supposed to be like? Now, when we consider these things... These are all things probably we wouldn't point to and say, oh, wow, we, we are getting an A-plus on our report card for each of these, right? As a nation, we execute justice and righteousness. I don't know about that one. Well, how about eliminating oppression? I'm not sure about that either. And ending all violence against the helpless? Probably not. You know, so, so again, we find ourselves, you know, this parallel between Judah of old or Israel of old and the prophets that delivered that word to them and the prophets, uh, you know, in proxy delivering that word to us. Because as we talk about these things, I always want us to remember <clears throat> the kingdoms of men are built on feet of clay, right? Every kingdom, according to Daniel, crumbles. Every kingdom passes one from the next to the next to the next. It's all on feet of clay, the kingdom of heaven is what is going to supersede the kingdom of man. 
So recognizing, and really what makes a, a kingdom of man walk in justice and righteousness is when it will submit itself to God, not be in rebellion against God. And we know we are in rebellion against God, right? We, we are turning our, uh, our back as a nation. We're turning our back on the Lord. So we pray that maybe some of the things we see on the horizon today is is an effort at changing our direction. You know, there's things to rejoice over in some of the choices and some of the things that are going on. Uh, but we just need to recognize, here's what God's asking for from government. So we ought to be careful just giving blind allegiance, right, because they're the authority. We, we're not trying to be disrespectful to authority, right? God teaches us to honor it. But that authority also needs to be submitted Unto him. Look at the consequences. Now, we've talked about this a few times. The idea, as we look at verse 4 and 5, of there's two roads, right? All throughout the Bible, you have this idea of two roads life, death, blessing, cursing, wisdom, folly. You know, right? You, you, you just see it over and over and over. And here the Lord is laying out the same thing. Here's what happens if you follow uh, my purpose, here's what happens if you don't. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. So he's saying, hey, you, you can have the royal line continuing, you know, on and on and on. Or, if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house will become a desolation. Now, those are similar words that Jesus speaks of the temple. You remember? Jesus comes in, the Bible, the Old Testament prophets prophesied that there would be a day Messiah would suddenly come into his house. He would enter into his house suddenly, and we see Jesus entering into the house on Palm Sunday, right, cleansing the temple. You guys with me? He cleanses the temple. Everybody's kind of tripping. They just announced him as Messiah walking down. We have the cleansing of the temple. <clears throat> Four, four days, uh, my, my chronology might be a little off, but several days of testing uh, where he's asking, they're asking questions of him, scribes and Pharisees, testing him, testing him, testing him, deciding that they want to kill him, they want to put him down. The last time Jesus walks out of the temple, he says, see, your house is left to you, you remember the word? Desolate. So you have him entering into the house, the zeal of the Lord with him, cleansing the house of the bad practices, the money changing, the things that were going on, right, we remember? And then you have four days of testing and him answering questions and all of those things. And then when he turns to walk out, he, he doesn't call it, my father's house is a house of prayer. You remember, he doesn't say, this is my house, which is a house of prayer. He says, this is your house. And it's left to you desolate. I'm walking out which is the only one that really mattered to be in the house. So he's saying, look, if you follow this way, in essence, I'll be with you and you'll be in blessing, right? And if you reject these things, you're going to walk out of that blessing and you find yourself under the curse, right? Desolate. Desolate, which is what happened to Judah. And certainly I think we can make a case as what is happening in our own time today. So <clears throat> then he's going to lay out for us an illustration. So when we look at it, he says, for thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah, you are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon, yet surely I will make you a desert or an uninhabited city. So if we want to understand the, the illustration, Gilead or Lebanon are like forest areas. 
If you've ever been to Israel, we went, uh, we went, we go to the north, north, farthest north end of Israel that we can tour in, and you're actually at a place where you can look and see in the distance Lebanon, and it's lush, trees, uh, river, creek, fish. I mean, it's it's not like the down south where the baptisms took place or where the children of Israel crossed into the promised land where it's wilderness, it's desert, it's lush. And so he's saying, look, you are to me like this lush forest area, you know, this beautiful place with flowing creeks and, you know, everybody loves to, to walk down a foresty path. And But the Lord's saying, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mow it. I'm going to chop down all the trees. It's going to be... Uh, a desert, uninhabited. It's going to be like sand. Now, <clears throat> with the exception of um, maybe some off-road guys, not too many people like to go to the real desert. You know, I'm one of the weird guys that go out to the middle of the desert at midnight, and it's amazing. The stars practically are jumping into your lap. It's so dark. It's beautiful. But I don't want to be there very long because there's no water there's no shade. There's You just go, yeah, this is cool. That's a nice place to visit. Don't run out of gas there, right? Don't get trapped there. Every year there's people who go out into Joshua Tree National Park and get lost and die in the desert uh, because that's what the desert's like. So the Lord is saying, look, I'm going to make this forest place like an uninhabited. So you understand, if you will follow my purpose, if you will follow me, right, just like Jesus is saying to the church, just like the Lord is saying to Israel, come follow me, walk the path of wisdom, turn your back on the way of the fool, submit yourself to the moral lawgiver, right? The things that God has laid out for us, walk in obedience to him. And so uh, he says, and I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons, and they will cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. So the idea, right, the forest is going to be cleared. So you're like Gilead, you're like the forest, and God's saying, Look, I'm, I'm going to clear the forest. <clears throat> and then he tells us not only the, the impact, but then he tells us what's the reaction of other people. And many nations will pass by, and every man will say to his neighbor, why has the Lord done this to this great city? And so the Lord wants it to be clearly understood, right? Why has the Lord done this? In verse 9, because they have forsaken the covenant, the promise of the Lord, their God, and worshiped other gods and served them. Now, what's the test? You know, that you're faithful to God. I think sometimes we think that the test of being faithful to God is just to say the words, you know, I believe. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe the, the tenets of the faith of Christianity. And I think that's an important part of it. And I think it's a great place to start. But how do I know you believe? I know you believe if you say you're following Jesus, I ought to be able to see your footprints where he's walking, right? And there's things, there's very clear things he tells us, isn't there? Very clear uh, uh, commands, very, very clear things that he lays out. We want to say, well, I say I love Jesus, but if you love Jesus and you, and you hate the innocent and you're okay with the shedding of, of blood of the innocent, then there's a problem, right? One of those two things isn't true. You're not following Jesus, right, by, not by your words, but, but by what you're doing. 
by, by what actions are taking place. And so the Lord is saying, here's the, here's the reason. They've forsaken me. How have they forsaken me? They don't do justice. They don't do righteousness. They're not watching out for the oppressed. They're not taking care of the innocent. And we go to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel lays out for us. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And, and, the, and Ezekiel lays it out, and what does he say? You had fullness of food, idleness of time, and you did not care about the poor. Now, there were other issues, right? We know some of the issues that took place in Sodom and Gomorrah are true. And those are extensions of a lifestyle and rebellion against God, right? But the Lord is saying, this is how you get to that place. You're turning away from the things that God has laid out for us. So now we get into verse 10, and we're going to start seeing these specific prophecies to the kings. The first one is to Shalom. Uh, Jehoahaz, he's the guy who reigns right after Josiah. Remember Josiah, <laughs> godly man, brings about uh, revival, but he's not super obedient at the end. Uh, the Lord tells him not to go to war. He goes to war, dies in the battle, and so um, his son takes over. The king of Egypt doesn't like his son, so he arrests his son, uh, takes him to Egypt. He's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. In Egypt, and he's going to put another on the throne for him. So listen to what Jeremiah had spoke to him as his reign is beginning. Weep not for him who is dead. Him who is dead is Josiah, right? The king everyone loved, right? Uh, Josiah was a beloved king of the people. Weep not for him who is dead, nor grieve for him, but weep bitterly for him who goes away, for he will not return to the native land. Jehoahaz, he's going to go into exile, and he's going to die in Egypt. He's never going to come back again. He's never going to come home again. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah. Again, this is Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, who went away from this place. He shall return here no more. But in the place... Where they have carried him captive, there shall he die, and he shall never see this land again. So you have, he only reigns for three months. As he's coming into his reign, he's, he is not a good king. He's a wicked king. He doesn't follow the footsteps of his father who went before him. <clears throat> he's going to be arrested quickly by Pharaoh Necho. Second uh, Kings twenty three thirty four says this, Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim. The son of Josiah, uh, king in the place of Josiah's father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoiahaz away and came to Egypt and died there. So he's only there three months. Pharaoh Necho takes him. Remember I told you he takes him and he puts a puppet. And the puppet kings reign for 11 years. And the other kings are each one only three months in the last four kings. So this is what happens. Now the Lord brought word to him. What is it that God was requiring of them? Well, we go back to the beginning, remember? Execute justice, eliminate oppression, end violence against the helpless. How long does God have to give you before he judges you for your action or inaction? Does he have to give you 70 years? Can he give you a week? What about three months? If he's the moral lawgiver, the judge of all the earth shall do right, no? If I'm guilty, when am I guilty? From, only from the beginning or only at the end? 
all the way, right? So if I'm guilty, this is what Romans teaches us, right? Romans chapter 1, that we're guilty men before a holy God, that we are standing in a place where we are all able to be judged. Jesus, when he's describing in, or when he's described in the Gospel of John, right, it says he came to the world not to condemn the world. Why? Because he says the world's already condemned. You're all already guilty. Every day that we have a part, when, we're, when we find ourselves in rebellion against God, every day uh, that, that God doesn't judge us is a day of grace. We, we're, he's extending grace. The Bible tells us God's long-suffering. That's why he does it. He extends that grace. He extends that grace, uh, desiring that none would perish, but that all or many would come to repentance, right? The opportunity would be for people to turn, change their life, and come to him. And so there are times where God's going to give the most wicked king in the history of Judah the longest reign, right? Manasseh's going to reign longer than anybody else. But you know, if you know the story, he's a wicked, 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 horribly wicked, horribly wicked man. But at the end of his life, he repents. So he is a story of God's grace leading to repentance, right? There are other men, like we see today, that we look at that God, they only reign three months, and they're taken away. Now, I just always assume God knows what he's doing. Are we okay with that? You know, because part of the idea of God being all-powerful and all-loving is he's also all-knowing, isn't he? And, and he's eternal. So God can react. God, <coughs> God knows more than I do. So if God brings judgment early, that's his prerogative, right? It's not early, it's just. And if God brings uh, a judgment late, it's God's prerogative, right? Uh, and I think the scriptures would bear out the, the point being a point to, to extend uh, grace and opportunity. So this is Shalom, Jehoahaz, uh, Josiah's son who reigned first. And those were the, the prophecies uh, uh, about him. Now, we look at verse 13. It says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. So now we've moved into Eliakim. Eliakim's going to reign for 11 years. Eliakim is the kind of king who's trying to keep the other guys happy. Right? So Pharaoh Nico put him in control. So he's going to tax the people and pay whatever tribute he needs to pay to Pharaoh Nico all the way to the day until Nebuchadnezzar defeats Egypt. And then he's going to flip his allegiance and give it to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, to a point. Um, <coughs> and then that will ultimately uh, end in rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar, a siege, and, and he'll die in the siege. But as we, as we look at his life, one of the things that stands out about this king is how he would stand on the backs of other people in order to elevate himself. So he was an oppressor. Far from dealing with oppression... He becomes the oppressor. He becomes the one who hires people to build his palace. 
to tax him extraordinarily to pay for his own stuff that he wants, right? Because some people believe that government exists, a position of authority exists for their own elevation. Is that how Jesus taught us about leadership? Because arguably the king of the universe, right? Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, he said he came to give his life a ransom for many, right? He came to give himself away. For who? Well, John 3.16 says, God so loved what? The world that he gave his one and only monogamous, his one and only son. The word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh, right? And so you have this picture of what leadership is supposed to look like and then you have the kings, the last four kings of Judah and God saying, here's the Here's what I'm looking for from you, right? Romans 13 says the same thing. What is the purpose of government? To judge the evildoer, right? To protect the people, to execute justice, righteousness, put down the oppressor, protect the innocent. That's how it works. That's not what is happening in the world today. And if you look at the leadership, uh, really, Across our nation, I would say the vast majority, not all, the vast majority would say the United States exists to make their life easier, right? Not the other way around. Oh, you have some people who are legitimate and for real and, and they should have our support and, and our allegiance, but you also have wicked people, right? Wicked, wicked people who are who are trying to do things. And so as we look at what Scripture lays out for us, he's saying, watch out for the covetousness of the king. He's putting the people down. He's become the oppressor. He's violating the law of Moses. You know it's a violation of the law of Moses to, to not pay what you said you would pay? It says in Deuteronomy 24, 14, you shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners, doesn't matter. He's, a, he's an alien in your land or he's one of your brothers. Doesn't matter. You don't get to uh, oppress a hired worker. Uh, they are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets. Why? Because he is poor and he needs it. That's what God said. Right? This, this is what God said. This is how you're supposed to do it. Why? Lest he cry out against the Lord or cry out to the Lord and you be guilty. Because God said, you pay a man his due. Don't oppress the poor. Right? This is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. Haggai chapter 1 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet. <clears throat> Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Haggai the prophet is saying, you guys have got nice places. You're, you've got nice things. You're taking care of yourself. The flip side, you're not taking care of the Lord's house. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruin, now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. 
You, have, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does, not, or does so to put them in a bag with holes. Is there a better way to describe the economy of the United States? The more you have, the more you want. Nothing ever satisfies because it's all focused towards self, right? Not focused outwardly. What was the point in Malachi when Malachi is challenging the people of Israel to bring their tithes into the storehouse? What was God's point? His point was so that there will be enough. There will be money for the poor. There will be stuff for the needy. We're bringing it into the house of God so that that stuff can flow out as well, right? It's not just to pile up hordes of money, right? It's not. You can go to, to uh, where did we go? Uh, Vatican City in Rome. That's the, it's, it's like the third richest economy, something like that. Uh, certainly, certainly in the top five, and it's not even really a nation, <laughs> right? And there's a, there's a story about Thomas Aquinas and somebody else. I don't remember who the other guy was. And one of them said to the other, hey, no longer do we have to say silver and gold have I none. And Thomas Aquinas' response was, neither can we say rise up and walk, you know, there's, there's something about, right, the pursuit of, of the shiny things in life that leaves us dissatisfied. And keeping, uh, keeping our eyes on the concept that it's all a tool, right? It can all be used to honor the Lord, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the good gifts that God gives. That's all good. You know, I'm not saying anything about that. But we also want to, in all of that, not lose our place, Right? So that life becomes the pursuit of the shiny rather than the pursuit of Christ. Rather than, rather than looking to him. So we have the second king here, Jehoiakim, 11 years, oppressing the people, building himself a nice place, a nice house. And so the prophet would say to him in verse 15, Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? You think you are something because you got a nice house? You got the nice stuff, keeping up with the Joneses, right? I've been, I've fallen in a trap. I remember our first house, we lived in a place called Desperate Hot Things. <laughs> that's, that's what I call it, it's Desert Hot Springs, but <clears throat> it was even hotter than it is here. And, but, but it was, we, it's the only new house I ever bought. And bought it new, you know, we used to drive over and watch them as they built it, you know, there's the... The house being built, it was cool. We picked out carpet. It's the only place we've ever, you know, done all those things too, and it was a neat experience. But in that neighborhood, we're in the first phase of several phases of new homes, and uh, the keeping up with the Joneses was a real thing, right? Seeing, oh, my my grass got to look at least as good as a neighbor's lawn, right, or better. I got to take care of all the burn spots or the dead spots and certainly got to keep it mowed and keep up appearances and hey they got man they got a boat and they got a whatever the things and that becomes the pursuit of all that stuff and the Lord is saying do you think you've arrived because you live in a house with the cedar walls for them that was the height of opulence right I got the best stuff 
God says, does this make you king? Is this what makes you king? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Now, for these four guys, they all come out of the family of Josiah. So the Lord, through his prophet, is pointing back to Josiah. Don't you remember how Josiah did it? Won't you follow his example? Every man gets to make a choice, right? I, I don't know the answers to how to, to make that work out with your kids. Um, I don't know if there's stuff you can do different or stuff that you can change. I know this. Every man and every woman gets to choose. They get to respond. They get to move in a direction or do a thing. So they're, they're wanting to say, look, the, the, you have the choice, right, to do what your father's done. Follow the example of Josiah. Didn't he do the right things? You know, not, not that he made every right choice, right, but he followed the decrees of God in seeking for justice and righteousness and to, to uh, not push or oppress others, but to relieve the oppression. And it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy, and it was well. Is, it, is not this, listen, is not this what it means to know me? That's God talking. And Hosea, and, and Hosea, when he says, look, I want you to know me, here in Jeremiah he's saying, isn't this what it means to know me? To, to follow me. To, to come with me. We wouldn't say it any different. If somebody told you they were your friend, but they burned you every time they had a, a, a second, they never listened to a word you said, they never would follow you or help you or a part of anything you did, it wouldn't take you very long to figure out, you're not my friend. Right? Is it different in the, in the pursuit of a relationship with Christ? Is it different in the pursuit and following the Lord? No, there's, the Lord says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Jesus said these words, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And what's the next part? And then don't do the things that I say. In other words, why do you call me your king, but you won't obey me? That's, I'm not your king. You get it. I'm not really your king. He's saying, he's laying out these ideas. If your father did it, if you would follow your father's example, verse 17, <clears throat> but, you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, for practicing oppression and violence. You see how the whole point of the, the final, at least the final four parts of the monarchy of Judah is directly opposite of what God is calling for in, in their government. Practice righteousness, justice, take care of the oppressed, you know, stop oppression. And protect the innocent. And so he's saying, but this is not you. Your heart is for dishonest gain. So, you know, I thought it was interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge Ricky Gervais fan. But that whole tirade he had on Hollywood, at Hollywood's expense, I don't remember what it was for, Golden Globes or some award thing. But uh, he called out Apple because everybody's talking about how great Apple is. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're so helpful in the environment and doing all these things. And then he calls him out and says, but you're making money on the backs of, you know, 10-year-olds who don't have shoes. So, you know, we're, we are a nation. Capitalism is built on the backs of oppressing the poor. 
Now, I'm not saying it can't be right. I'm just saying oftentimes it's not, right? You go around the world, why, why do people have uh, uh, their, their factories in third world countries? Because you can get somebody to work for 12 cents a day. And I can sell the shoes that they make for 300 bucks a pair. It's dishonest gain, right? And the Lord said, what, what should you do? You should take care of the poor. He's not telling you you can't be wealthy. He's not telling you you can't get ahead. He's just telling you greed is not good, only in the movies, right? And those guys usually end up burning. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not good. What is good is to say, you know, I want to do this God's way. I want to be someone who honors, who honors God's uh, direction and call. So he says, you only have eyes. Your heart is for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood and for practicing oppression and violence and really <clears throat> i mean i don't I, I i really don't have to go any further than the shedding of innocent blood you know somebody's got to answer for 60 million dead babies that's just how it goes since 1972 something like that and far before churches were considered essential uh, abortion mills were so, protect innocent blood. Well, the government's not doing that, right? It's not protecting. And where in the world do we say, well, the child's life is likely to be filled with suffering, so we should kill it? Well, okay. So the homeless, their life is filled with suffering. Should we kill them? Well, the hungry... In Ethiopia, they're going to starve to death. We should just drop a bomb? No. Our souls know it's wrong. God's written his law on our heart, right? We can shove the beach ball underwater, but we can't keep it there. It's going to pop up. And that says nothing for oppression or greed or the lack of justice, right? Uh, the lack of righteousness, so he's saying, they shall not lament him. Listen to what he's saying. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, that's the first 11-year king, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, oh, my brother, oh, sister. They will not lament for him, saying, oh, Lord, oh, his majesty. With the burial of a donkey, he will be buried, dragged and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Death won't be remembered. His burial will not be honored. Now, what happens to him? Well, he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar eventually, right? He thinks Nebuchadnezzar's getting weak. Oops, he found out he wasn't. Nebuchadnezzar comes against them, sets up a siege. During the siege, um, people begin to starve, right? We've talked about it before, read the scriptures that talk about people eating their children, uh, eating those who, are die who have died. We, we have our own stories and our own history, don't we? People who are stranded, right? Stranded in in passes that they couldn't get through because of snow, what'd they do? How'd they live? Donner Pass, how'd they live? They ate each other, right? That's not, um, we understand that's, sometimes that's what happens, okay? But when it happens to a kingdom, eventually the people start looking around for somebody to blame. Who's the guy at the top? The king. So sometimes in an effort to stop the siege, the people will rise up against the king Grab a hold of him, kill him, and throw him over the wall. No burial, 
just thrown out like so much garbage. And that's what happens to Jehoiakim. Now the next guy who comes on the scene <coughs> is Jeconiah. And Jeconiah is only going to reign the last three months of the siege. He's not, he's not really going to have much time. Uh, it goes on in verse 20. Go up to Lebanon and cry out. Lift up your voice in Bashan. Cry out from Abarim, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, and I said, and you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth, that you have not obeyed my voice. The wind shall shepherd uh, all your shepherds, and your lovers shall go into captivity. And then you will be ashamed and confounded because of all your evil, O inhabitants of Lebanon, nested within the cedars, how you will be pitied when pangs come upon you, pain as of a woman in labor. So the Lord laying out, look, I, I didn't just wait to talk to you during the siege. I called out to you when you were full, right? This is the only king, Jeconiah is the only king, he was the son of Jehoiakim. He's not a brother of, of um Josiah. He's not one of Josiah's. They're not part of the brothers, uh, but still part of the relation of the family. And the Lord saying, I, I reached out to you when you were full, when you had plenty, when the bank account had plenty of money, nobody was hungry. I called to you, and you said to me, I, don't, I won't listen. I won't, I won't listen. I won't hear. You hold your hands over your, your ears, and you, and you say, I don't need you. You know, what do I need you for, God? I have everything. I have all this stuff. So here is God's judgment in verse 24. As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, which is Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, this he only reigns for three months, <clears throat> though he were the signet on my right hand, I would tear you off. So the signet was the ring that had your authority, right? If you were to write a letter and you wanted to to uh, um, press your seal, it would be your signet ring, right? Your seal's on the ring, you press it into the wax, that's the, the, the sign of your authority. The Lord's saying, though you were, even if you, Jeconiah, were the sign of my authority, I would throw you away. So the, the harshest judgment is coming upon Jeconiah, landing on Coniah. He says, and I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. He says, I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you will die. But to, but to the land to which they will long to return, they shall not return. He says to Kaniah, you're going to lose your position, you're going to lose your place, you're going to lose your posterity, it's all going. He's going to live out his days in Babylon. At the end of his life, the king of Babylon is going to allow him to eat at his table, but he'll never leave Babylon. He's going to die in Babylon. And part of the curse of Jeconiah, right, one from the family of Jeconiah will never set the throne of David. Never set the throne of David. So this is God's, <clears throat> this is God's judgment. Now, after, after Jeconiah comes Zedekiah. That's the last king. Nebuchadnezzar puts Zedekiah on the throne. Now, we're not going to talk about Zedekiah too much tonight. Uh, the final 
word of prophecy is really going to focus on, still on Jeconiah. It says, is this man, Coniah, <coughs> a despised broken pot, a vessel that no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they don't know? O oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord. Write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. So from that time, we have Zedekiah the son of Josiah, which will be the last king. Never will a son of Jeconiah set on the throne. Jeconiah will be the last surviving Davidic king until Yeshua HaMashiach, whose father, Joseph, is in the line of Jeconiah and whose mother is in the line of, I want to say Solomon, I think they're different lines, but I'll have to look at it. It's in Matthew if you want to look. <clears throat> Matthew and Luke. So you have Jesus being the the fulfillment, if you will, of the promise to David that someone will always sit his throne. Who's the king? Who's the king today? Jesus is the king. Is he going to sit the throne? For sure. He's going to sit the throne, right? There will be a day. The Bible says there's a day when Jesus Christ will return. He'll sit the throne. When he does, will there be justice and righteousness? Will, there, will any be oppressed? Will innocent blood be shed? Oh, man. So all the things that God is asking for will be fulfilled in, in Jesus Christ, right? So that when I come to Jesus Christ and I bow the knee to him and I profess my faith, my trust in him, Lord, cover me, and he covers me, I follow him, I may fail, I get up and continue to follow him, right? It's not about per perfect performance, it's simply about will you follow me? If you, will you call me Lord and, and then try to do the things that I say? Walk after me. The day I die, Jesus Christ is going to cloak me just like the prodigal son was clothed by his father, right? He came to his father, and what did the father do immediately? Threw a robe on him. Robe of righteousness. What does Jesus Christ do for me? Throws a robe on me. What righteousness? His. Puts a ring on my finger, right? Saying, your heir. What does the Bible say? Heirs and join heirs together with Jesus Christ. That's our relationship with our great king. Heirs and join heirs together with him. He's going to fulfill all the promises that God had through the kings. But as we look at all the lists of the kings, their successes and failures, it does lay out for us a map, doesn't it? This is, this is what it is to try to walk in obedience to the Lord. And when we're off, when we mess up, what do we do? What's the Bible say? Repent, confess, right? Be restored and continue. Right? We, we repent, we confess. The Lord, when we, when we repent of our sins, what does God do? What does the Bible say? The Bible tells us he forgives us, right? 1 John 1, 9, if you're in doubt, just look at it. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness, right? So will God forgive me? Yes, he will forgive me. What is my part? Live a life of confession. If I fail, confess. I confess, I lift those things up to the Lord, and what does he do? He covers me with his righteousness. He covers me with his righteousness. I measure up 
to the requirements of God because Jesus Christ measures up to the requirements of God and he covers me. But I'm still following him, right? I still want to try to be like he is. I still want to apply the truth of his word, right, to the way I, I make decisions, to the way I run a business, to the way I live my life, right? And when I fall short, then what do I do? Do I throw my hands up in the air and say, oh, no, it's over? No, I confess. He forgives, and we keep our eyes on the prize moving forward toward the upward call in Christ Jesus our Lord. We keep on keeping on. Following him, growing day by day, becoming more and more like him, that's That's the path of righteousness. That's the path of life. That's turning our back on the path of death and following our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can study your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it, to kind of look into uh, prophetic history. God, as you're telling us... uh, the end from the beginning before things happen. You're laying it all out for us and so we can see, Lord, as you declare the end from the beginning, you're saying, this is what happens. Here's the example. Learn the lesson. Life and death. Blessing and cursing. Choose life. Come and follow me. And this is our single greatest call. Come and follow me me hear him call bow that knee open your heart to him ask him to strengthen you for the journey before you for there will be tribulation the bible declares right in this world you will have tribulation john 16:33 but be of good cheer for i have overcome so we fight from victory not for victory jesus christ is our king He is the one to whom we owe allegiance, first allegiance. He is the requirement. He is the measure. What we will measure all leadership by, what we should measure all government by, what we should measure, you know, the whole deal. So God, may we be men and women uh, willing to follow you, especially in this time. So that when people look and say, tell me a reason for the hope that is within you, we can do so. Because Jesus said, I will give you word. I'll give you voice when you need it. God, be glorified in this place as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.